Philippians chapter 4. As we continue this series, the theme has been the mindset that cannot fail. The mindset that cannot fail. No doubt you've dealt with discouragement and some hard times and some frustrations and who knows what else. Maybe you're out of work. You've been dealing with financial problems through all of this. God still wants us to rejoice. Okay, He still wants us to stay on top of things. Listen, I know there's the human element to that, but the solution to our problems is not the human element. It's not our defeat. The solution to the problem is our Savior. Okay, that's always the solution. The difficulty is us getting to where we see it and we keep seeing it the way we're supposed to. Because what happens is we'll see it, like maybe we'll see it tonight, and then something will happen tomorrow and we don't see it for another week. Well, that's not good. No, we need to stay focused. We need to have a mindset, a biblical mindset, and that's the mindset that does not fail. Now, here in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and I beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. As we continue to go through, we continue to glean statements, principles, in our study here in Philippians. And what we see here is we see in verse one, so stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast. What's he saying? Stay on track spiritually. You know what you need to do. You need to keep doing it. Doesn't mean there won't be difficulties in accomplishing it. It doesn't mean it won't be hard at time. By the way, folks, it doesn't mean that your old nature is going to cooperate. Listen, the greatest enemy of the Christian is not the devil. It's our sin nature. It's our heart. Okay, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, the Bible says. Stay on track spiritually. Don't get sidetracked and don't quit. It speaks of perseverance as a believer. Perseverance. Not to be saved, not to stay saved. No, keep going simply because it's worth it to keep going as a believer. There's going to be blessings. There's going to be great reward down the road. Okay, This speaks of staying faithful to the truths of God's word. In the context, it means that our lives are to be lived for Jesus Christ and the gospel. As we've seen already in the study, which is over and over, Paul brings up the gospel and, and the gospel, and that was that that's the practical, getting the gospel out, the Great Commission, that's the practical purpose of the church. Yes, ultimately, it's to glorify Christ. We get that. But on a practical level, it's to get the gospel out. It's to fulfill the Great Commission. You will never persevere when difficulties come if you haven't already, as a believer, made up your mind as to what you are going to live your life for. If we're kind of hemming and hawing, well, maybe I'll live for the Lord, maybe I'll serve the Lord, maybe I'll follow the Lord, do this with my life or that. You know, if it's a maybe, enough difficulties can come in your life to where you say, nah, you know what, I don't think so, at least not for now. At least not for now, okay? Now think about that. Living for Christ. And then some people say, I don't think so, at least not for now. And some would dare to say, coupled with that, I'll pray about it. 
Now, is that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? I'm not going to serve Christ with my life, but I'll pray about it. Wait a minute. A rebel's prayer is an abomination to the Lord, the Bible says. Pride is in the driver's seat there. It's not where it's supposed to be. Stand fast in the Lord. Keep your focus. Single-minded, okay? Paul said in chapter 1, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He did not have a bunch of things he was living for. He was living for Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, only let your conversation, your manner of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Here it is again, that you stand fast. Chapter 1, chapter 4, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. No doubt here at the beginning of Philippians 4, there's a little disharmony between some people. Guess what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Here's the question. Are we mature enough spiritually to die to ourselves, as we've been talking about in this series, to die to ourselves, to our old self, and say, you know what? I want Jesus Christ to be magnified in my life. And I want it to be about Jesus and whatever it is he has for me, that's what I want to live my life for. Not, okay, Lord, give me your list and I'll go through and check the ones I think are okay. Who's God? If we can do that, we're God. We're God. No, we ought to just simply out of love for the Lord, just bow the knee and say, Lord, whatever you want for me is what I want for me. Because Lord, whatever you want for me is the best I could ever have. That's the truth of it. Which leads us to our second point, And you see it in, uh, in verse two, where it says, I beseech Yodius and Syntyche, that they be, here you go, of the same mind. What is the same mind? It's the biblical mind. If we all think biblically, we will be in harmony with one another. Let's move on to verse four. I think most people have memorized this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, okay? Our third point is this. To rejoice in the Lord always necessitates that we walk by faith in the Lord. If we're not walking by faith, then what does that mean, walk by faith? That's not just some sort of Christianese. If I am walking by faith, I am walking with my eyes on the Lord, trusting in him as I live an obedient life for Christ. That's what walking by faith is about. And to rejoice in the Lord always necessitates that we walk by faith in the Lord. Why? Because if I'm not walking by faith, trusting in him, having my eyes on him, I'm going to have my eyes on other things. And if I have my eyes on other things, guess what? I'm going to end up not rejoicing in the Lord because those other things can't bring me joy. It's only in Christ that there's joy. So to rejoice in the Lord necessitates that I keep my eyes on him every day. Rejoice in the Lord always. And by the way, this is in the imperative mood. What that means is that it's basically, it's a command. So it isn't, you know what? If you guys feel kind of warm and fuzzy, praise the Lord and rejoice in him. Isn't he good, you know? Well, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord today. Why is that? Well, because I heard the birds chirping this morning. Well, thank God it's not hunting season, okay? Or that you don't have a lot of birds roaming your property, or not birds, cats roaming your property, No. Rejoice in the Lord. Why am I going to rejoice in the Lord? Now listen, this is easy preaching, hard living. 
You wake up on the wrong side of the bed, so to speak. Something's not right. Something's troubling you. And you know, maybe even the Holy Spirit will say, rejoice in the Lord always. And you're like, "Eh." I don't feel like rejoicing in the Lord today. Yeah, that's why it's in the imperative mood. God doesn't say, if you feel like it, do it. He's saying, I command you to rejoice in the Lord. You know what that does, folks? That gets us out of neutral and gets us going again in the right direction. It gets us going again. Making those decisions, overruling our emotions instead of letting our emotions rule us. The Lord is the one who never changes. As we focus on him, it is much easier to always rejoice because we're focusing on him. He never changes, and I'm supposed to always, which means never change, rejoice. And so when I'm occupied with Christ, it's going to be that much easier for me to rejoice in the Lord, okay? So important. Joy in the Christian life is not based on everything going right according to our plan. It is based on our walk with God in a biblical perspective. We got to get this. Remember, Paul is in jail when he's writing this. He's not cruising the Mediterranean on a yacht with all kinds of money in his pockets. No. See, it's all a matter of perspective. He could rejoice in the Lord and tell us to rejoice in the Lord and command us to rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because he knew that that's where the joy was. Rejoice. He knew the joy was in Christ and for him to live was Christ and to die was gain. It's easier to rejoice when we're focused on the Lord. It's all a matter of perspective. We can continually look around us at what we don't like or we can see our circumstances as opportunities to serve the Lord. Let me read you a story I came over. This was... um, relayed by another pastor. It's about a man named Robert Reed. Robert Reed. Robert Reed, it opens up this way. He says, quote, I have everything I need for joy. His hands are twisted and his feet are useless. He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. He can't brush his teeth, comb his hair, or put on his underwear. Strips of Velcro hold his shirt together. His speech drags like a worn-out audio cassette. Robert has cerebral palsy. The disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike, and going for a walk. But it didn't keep him from graduating from high school and attending a Christian university, from which he graduated with a degree in Latin. Not sure why, but he did. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at St. Louis Junior College or from venturing overseas on five mission trips. And Robert's disease didn't prevent him from becoming a missionary to Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone by himself in 1972. There he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour, and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. Then he stationed himself daily in the park, where he distributed brochures about Christ. Within six years, he led 70 people to the Lord, one of whom became his wife, Rosa. 
The pastor goes on, I heard Robert speak recently. I watched other men carry him in his wheelchair onto the platform. I watched them lay a Bible in his lap. I watched his stiff fingers force open the pages. And I watched people in the audience wipe away tears of admiration from their faces. Robert could have asked for sympathy or pity, but he did just the opposite. He held his bent hand up in the air and boasted, I have everything I need for joy. His shirts are held together by Velcro, but his life is held together by joy. How many of us are in a situation like that? But here's somebody who learned, learned about contentment. We'll be talking more about that in the future, all right? This is so important to understand. What does Hebrews 12 tell us, verse 2? It says, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to keep our eyes. He is the goal line. Keep our eyes until we see him face to face, okay? Back to Philippians 4, it says this, verse 5, it says, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. The word moderation, it's an interesting word. It has the idea of being gentle to others and patient with them. It has the idea that when things don't go good with me, I don't blow up. I just kind of take it and try to look at it through the eyes of God. Moderation. There's a steadiness about our character. And then you notice this, let your moderation be known unto all men. Why can we do that? Well, if we are gripped by the next phrase, it's not hard. The Lord is at hand. You might say, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, it means the Lord is at hand, but it can mean two different things by that, right? And you know what? I don't find in the context here any real absolute to say which one it is. It could mean the Lord is at hand in the sense that, hey, he's walking with you every moment. You can have moderation in your life. You can live a joyful life because the Lord's walking with you every moment. He's at hand. Or it could mean this. The Lord's coming back at any moment. And the trials and the difficulties we face aren't even going to matter when we see Jesus. They're not going to matter. Pastor, do you think it's the first one that he's close to us, or do you think it's the second one that he's coming soon? Yes. (laughs) See, we can be gentle to others and patient knowing that the Lord is in control of our circumstances, and therefore we can rejoice by choice. Rejoice by choice. Now, beginning in verses 6 through 9, we see factors that will lead us to rejoicing in the Lord always. It's so beautiful the way this fits together. Factors that will lead us to where we will rejoice in the Lord always. Let's look at it in verse 6. It says, be careful for nothing. And we know the word careful means anxious. We think more in terms of anxious nowadays. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You've heard me say it in the last year or two, but I'll say it again tonight. Prayer is the purest form of faith that there is. Think about it. You are doing nothing else but going to the throne of grace for help. You are trusting God. You're trusting him. You're not bringing anything. You're not doing anything. You're trusting him, period. 
Could there be anything more pure than that when it comes to faith? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You see, that goes along with verse 4 in rejoicing in the Lord. What part of that? In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I give it to the Lord. I say, Lord, I am completely trusting you with this thing in my life. And Lord, because you're God and you're at hand, and you're at hand, both, I can rejoice in the Lord because couldn't be in better hands than yours. See, when you give a request to God, when we really trust him with our prayer requests, we're putting it in his hand. He only has our good in mind. Therefore, we can rejoice with that. What a blessing. Number four, keep your focus on Christ. Keep your focus on Christ. When we are focused on the Lord and our focus on his character and power, we have no reason to be anxious. Now think about that. Folks, the attributes of God, the attributes of God, okay, you know what I'm talking about. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's love. He's mercy. He's truth. He's omnipresent. His attributes. Those aren't just words in a theology book. These are the very character traits, the portrait of our God. This is the way he is. This is who he is. God is love, the Bible says. You might say, well, explain that. I don't need to. It's just true. That being so, I don't need to be anxious. doesn't matter what it is. I don't need to be anxious. Now, again, that's easy preaching, hard living. I'll confess to you, I've had some real hard times these last two months with different things. Anxious about things. I'd say, Pastor, you shouldn't have been. You're right. You're right, I shouldn't have been. But I was. Proud of it? No, not proud of it. But you know what? We all struggle at times, don't we? We all struggle at times. What was it about? Were you afraid to get COVID? No, it wasn't that. It was, how's it going to be? When are we going to open? And what's going to happen when we do? Okay? Now, I want you to know tonight, those of you who are here, there's a lot of people in this town and in this state and in this country who would love this to backfire. Do you understand? The church is opening. The church is coming back. They would love it to backfire and people come down with COVID-19 where we have to close again. See, because there are some people who hate God. They hate him. And so they would love this to fail. And so that's a concern. But is it, should we be overly concerned? No, not if we use our heads. Not if we do it the way we should. And all we can do is trust the Lord, right? You know, I I think our president, and again, God bless him, our president, early on with this, he gave this thing a name. He said, the invisible enemy. Boy, that's a pretty good description, isn't it? See, if we worry, when we are anxious, We are struggling with letting the Lord handle the situation. We are insisting that the burden or the problem is ours to carry out or work out. That we got this thing, it's it's just part of our depraved nature, okay? We got this thing to where we think that we have more power and control than we really do. That we can fix things. There's a lot of things we can't fix. Only God can. 
And that's a lesson we have to learn and relearn and relearn and relearn in life. I don't think we ever learn it. As long as we got an old nature, we never learn it. We can learn it for a while and then we revert back into trusting in ourselves to some extent. Not a good way to live. If we worry, we are not trusting in the Lord. If we are trusting in the Lord, we won't worry. Can't do both at the same time. Well, don't you think we can go back and forth, back and forth? Yes, I do believe that. That's our problem. We go back and forth, back and forth. Hold your place here and look at 1 Peter 5. This ought to bring us some real peace. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That goes perfectly with Philippians 4, 6. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Psalm 55, 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. He will not allow the righteous to be moved. As long as what? As long as we are casting our burden upon him. See, what is that? If I'm casting my burden upon the Lord, I am believing, that's faith, I am believing that that will help something, that that will help my situation. I'm honoring God because without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, nothing pleases God more than for us to go to him and treat him like God, because he is. We are honoring him for who he is. That is the way life is supposed to be lived. Proper prayer does not have its focus on the problem, but on the solver of the problem, the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Proper prayer does not have its focus on the problem, but on the solver of the problem, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, When we do this, what happens when we do this successfully? Go back to Philippians chapter 4. When we do it successfully, here you go. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep. And that word keep, it means to keep it in such a way to where you're guarding it. You're guarding it, okay? Look at this. The peace of God shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God which passes all understanding. The peace of God, that peace that we can have even in the middle of a storm, okay? Notice again, it is living by faith in the Lord. We have the peace of God because we've taken everything to him. We're focused on him. He is what it's about. Isaiah 26, 3 Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Oh, how am I going to get through this? I don't know if I have the strength to do this. Trust ye in the Lord Jehovah, or in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is what kind of strength? It's everlasting strength. It's everlasting strength. I know a lot of you, one of your favorite verses, Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. 
I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God will be true to who he is. He can't be anything other than that. Isn't that something to think about? Well, I don't know if I want to you know, trust the Lord with this. Is he going to come through? What? Is he going to come through? He may not come through the way you think, but he's going to come through the right way. He's God, and there is no other. He is God. Back to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, what's verse 8 talking about? Mind occupation. Mind occupation. What's occupying your mind? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, uh, moral quality, moral excellence, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things. The word think means to reason about. To reason about. It's the same word, legizomai, if I'm not mistaken, there in Romans where it says, your reasonable service. The word reasonable, it's the same root word as this. We can reason about these things, okay? Reason about these good things. What are these things, by the way, you find in verse 8? In verse 8, we see the very characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are his characteristics. These are his virtues. Not only that, they're also the exact same characteristics of the Word of God. So Jesus is the living Word. Our Bible is the written Word. And everything this has to say and everything he is, is what you see in verse 8. Or let me put it this way, all the things that you see in verse 8 are characteristics and traits of our Savior. Doesn't make any sense not to walk with him. When we meditate on these things, it will result in peace. It will result in peace. And folks, if we as believers can walk in peace and rejoice in the Lord, that is a mindset that cannot fail. It's going to take us far as believers. Verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Okay, Do those things, and the God of peace shall be will be with you. Now, it's interesting here, this word do in verse nine is the, uh, the word prosso, and this one means to practice. So make this a lifestyle. What's he saying? Those things which you have both learned and received and heard of me, the things I've been teaching you, Paul is saying here in the last chapter. He's talking about it in the last chapter, but referring to everything he said in Philippians so far. The things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Remember he talked about in chapter three being an example? Practice those things. Make it your lifestyle. What's the promise? The God of peace shall be with you. You know, folks, it's a lot easier for us to rejoice in the Lord always when we have peace inside. A couple more passages here. Look with me over to um, John chapter three. You could possibly be here tonight or watching through uh, live streaming, and uh, you may be saying, you know what? I need peace in my life. My life is a mess. It's upside down. I can't sleep at night. I can't eat. I'm a wreck. 
I need help. Friend, the only place you'll find it is in Jesus Christ. You're not going to find it someplace else. You're not going to find it in a bottle. You're not going to find it in a needle. You're not going to find it in pills. You're not going to find it in powder. You're not going to find it in immorality. You're not going to find it in anything besides Christ. It's only found in him. And all you need do is trust in Jesus Christ as the one who died and paid for your sins. And when you do, he gives you everlasting life as a gift. Let me, let me explain it here. We're going to pretend my left hand represents you and me. Let my wallet represent our sin. Here we are. We're all sinners, all of us. That includes everybody, including me. Yet God loves us. Why? God is love. That's why he loves us. It's who he is. He hates our sin. He loves us. God does not want us to end up spending eternity in hell. He wants us to live forever with him in heaven. But to do that, we can't take any sin with us. It's got to be paid for. It's got to be out of the way. Now, God says, if we pay for it, we're going to spend forever separated from him in hell. Nowhere in the Bible does it say good works pay for sin. As a matter of fact, right up here, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. See, it's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we can do, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, there's nothing we could do to pay for our own sin outside of spending forever separated from God. But he doesn't want that for us. And so therefore, because he is who he is, in this was manifested the love of God towards us and that God sent his only begotten son into the world. This hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ, sinless. He came into the world when he went to the cross Listen, he came into the world to save us. That's the whole reason he came. He went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself, and he made the complete payment, and he rose from the grave. And he says, if you will simply believe or put your trust in him that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, your sins are taken away, and he gives you everlasting life. It's a free gift, no strings attached. No strings attached. He's not saying you have to live up to a certain standard to get it or maintain it. He's saying, I love you that much. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be my child. I want you to be reconciled back to me. He did all the work. All he's saying is this. Would you trust in my son that he did it for you and I'll give you eternal life. John chapter three. Get it. John chapter three and verse 36. He that believeth on the son... You trust in the Son, Jesus Christ. He that believeth on the Son hath right now, present tense, you possess right now everlasting life. That's a home in heaven. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, the wrath of God abides on him. If you die without having trusted Christ as Savior, you will be immediately engulfed in the flames of hell the wrath of God. You don't have to have it. Jesus did all the work. He's just saying, would you trust in me that I did it for you? And I will give you as a gift everlasting life. And you can be completely delivered for all eternity from that awful place called hell. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I urge you to put your faith in him as your Savior. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. 
Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.